Welcome to episode 461 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. Let's continue our analysis of pinball companies. And on this episode, it's going to be all about American Pinball, the American dream company. Now, American Pinball has been around, can you guess, since 2015. And in that five-year period, American Pinball has managed to put out two and a quarter games. And we're going to talk about what that quarter game is, and I think you know what it is. But, you know, when I think about American Pinball, and I think about how do I do a show that gives a, an accurate analysis of this company, it's, it's hard because I don't want to just talk about the games, and we are going to talk about these games. But I think to really understand the games and Houdini and Oktoberfest, and to really understand how those games came to be, the way they are, the way you have experienced them, the way this company has marketed itself, to really understand what makes this company like tick, you really have to go and look at the origins of the company, and you have to look at the founders of the company. Now, for many of you out there, when we think of Jersey Jack Pinball, you know Jack's story. You know his origins. He was a salesman with Gary Stern. He was one of Stern's biggest uh, salesmen and distributors of Stern Pinball Machines. And he went off and he had a dream to start Jersey Jack Pinball. Now, if I were to ask you out there, how many of you are familiar with the origins of American Pinball? How many of you are familiar with the relationship between Amtron or Amtron and American Pinball. And it's it's kind of confusing. And so instead of me trying to explain to you everything, I thought the easiest thing to do and the, and the most accurate way to think about this company and how it's structured is to actually hear from the man who's running American Pinball right now. And I want to play a clip of Mukesh talking about how American Pinball came to be. Now, this is about four to five minutes, but I really think this is extremely valuable in sort of understanding what American Pinball is and how they themselves see their company and its origins. So let's play that right now for you. Principal, the CEO and the founder of Aimtron and American Pinball, Mr. Mukesh Vasani. Thank you, my dear friends, business friends, pinball community, and our design team who made this miracle, you know, Aimtron design team and American Pinball design team, especially we call J&J group. You know, we have five jacks, one, two, three, four, five, you know, Jim, John, Josh, another Josh, and Jeff. And we have other lot of staff members, but, you know, we have five jacks, that's why we are winning. Again, welcome and thank you for your time and support for another amazing milestone mark for American Pinball. We are, we all are excited to see the miracle made by our design team. But one thing, while walking on the floor, a lot of questions came up. Who is American Pinball? What is the relation with Aimtron? Who is Aimtron? And that was kind of murmuring, so that's what I would like to take you for a couple seconds for my journey. Born and brought up in a small village of 500, and being an engineer after that, came to land of opportunity in America in 1994 Christmas Eve. And that's where my journey started. Even though construction business owner in India, I came here and changed 180 degree, and I went to DeVry 
and started electronics business in 1996. First decade, our main clientele base was gaming industries, WMS, Williams, and a lot of other gaming industries. So we have a passionate and passion for gaming and amusement since day one. It was a partnership journey. In 2007, partner retired, and we started Aimtron as a newborn company in 19, I'm sorry, 2009. In 2009 to 2018, almost nine year journey, we took this company to about 30 to $40 million. And now thanks to Dawal, he you know, helped me to raise this company. But now it's time to start our own product line. So Dawal came an idea, let's start Finwall. I said, why not? Because, you know, this is something is giving us a, a gaming presence, you know, amusement. So that's where we started, um, you know, in October 19, 2015, we started American Pinball. So exactly three years today, you know. So that's where American Pinball came in picture. In Aimtron Group, we have five, six companies, but nothing is right now. Is we are not here to talk about Aimtron. I would like to invite and come to visit the facility and we will sell a lot of things over there. But again, today, I would like to just give you a glimpse where American Pinball came from. And the last, but not least, <coughs> as Mayor said, we acquire a big building in Palatine. So our business model will be a couple lines for pinball machine one or two lines for contract manufacturing only, because that's our forte, and then one line for NPI. So that's a, we will have a big fortune in amusement, not only one pinball industry, but other rhythms and game and a couple other areas, we're gonna diversify. Because Aimtron itself is diversification. We have a government contract, we have a, you know, medical areas, we have industri industrial, we have a gaming, so we have all around. So that's where in the amusement industry, we're gonna make a long path so we don't get fail or we don't get any other, you know, wind tunnel or something happens in the economy so we can survive. So that's about, you know, Aimtron journey and American pinball journey. And I'm going to like to say thank you to Dawal to take the lead on this. And thanks to Nirmal, he just joined on this journey. And I'm going to have new millennium, new thought process in pinball industries come in the picture. So again, thank you for time. I don't want to take much time. I would like to again one more time thank you to our design team, Joe, Jim, Josh, Jeff, and another, jo another Joe, Paul, Brian, Barry, there's a Leslie on the back. So there is a lot of, you know, our staff members, they work day and night. So within one year, we got a second strong machine, and I rest assured that there will be a quality. Make sure quality is number one for all American pinball machine. Again, thank you for your time. And we are here to support. Last, we are, we are in my SRS, the last long you know, commitment to support pinball community. Thank you so much. All right, so we have the promise of high quality pinball machines. You start to understand this relationship of Aimtron, who has a background in making parts for other gaming companies, but they don't really have experience in making the games themselves. So there's a desire to enter into a category in which they know very little about. And so I think this really, to me, has always marked and defined what American pinball's origins are, which is successful men 
who are running another business that has another focus who decided to pivot into pinball, right? I mean, you hear it. It's just, you know, he just said like Davo just said one day, let's make pinball. And I don't even get the sense if Davo really understands what makes a pinball company successful, how to design a pinball machine, what is needed to do what he wanted to do. And you hear this sort of, again, you start to hear this undertone of winning. We're making this miracle product. We've got this winning team in place. Now, this is 2018. And when this conversation is happening, we know for a fact that American Pinball has not been winning at anything. They haven't had great sales of Houdini. And the in, the entire Magic Girl fiasco, which is what we're going to talk about right now, we can't ignore the past. And I think that's the other thing about American Pinball is they would like they would like to probably start over in terms of how they started. So we have to go back before 2018 in this Aimtron collaboration and really look at the origins of this company and what their strategy was from the very beginning because I think it's very important to understand where they started because I think that is going to ultimately ultimately define where they are today and where they're going to be in the future. So for those of you who don't know, for those of you who are new to pinball, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the brief explanation of what happened. John Papaduke, when he invented Magic Girl and Raza and Alice in Wonderland as his sort of premier, premium, expensive, ultra-exclusive titles for Zidware, he went belly up. He went belly up. He ran out of money. He started creating a Ponzi scheme sort of system in which he was selling spots for games two and three before he could finish game one. And he needed he needed a sucker. He really did. He needed someone to come in and bail him out. But John Papaduke sort of almost had a way out with Pintasia and Bill Brandis, but they quickly saw that it was an absolute disaster and, and cut bait immediately. And then all of a sudden, right around 2015, there were rumors that John Papaduke had a new investor or John Papaduke found someone to help him make the Magic Girls. And there was like this, there was like this company that people started to speculate called American Pinball. And I remember people looked up uh, the address of this company that was filed and, and they went to the location and on the door, do you remember these pictures? Like on this like glass door, there was just a little printout with the logo American Pinball on it and nobody knew. Nobody knew what was going on over at American Pinball. Now, we now know what was happening at American Pinball between 2015 and 2016. It was John Papaduke was at American Pinball and he was working with Davel and their marketing person, marketing and salesperson, Scott Goldberg. And this was the first time the world ever heard of American Pinball. And the first communication from them really was dominated by Scott. Now, what I want to do is go back to that time period because they finally, in 2016, came out and articulated what their plans were with American Pinball. Now, the pinball community, when they heard that J-Pop was working with American Pinball, the entire community collectively thought it was a horrible idea because you have to remember, at this point, John Papaduke was the utter laughingstock of the pinball world. He had burned so many people, not just buyers of Zidware games. He had burned so many vendors 
and other individuals who worked for him and gave him products and parts and supplies and time and energy, and he never delivered anything to anybody. Just go ask Zombietti, Mr. Jeremy Packer, what it was like working with John Papaduke all those years at Zidware to understand what a sort of manipulating guy John was to get stuff from people and give them nothing in return. Right. And so he was able to find, and I'm just going to say this, a new sucker in American pinball to give him more money to try and complete his projects. Okay. And so then what happens is, is John moves his operation into the American pinball facilities between 2015 and 2016. Now, what I want to do now is I want to like play for you one of the first interviews that American Pinball's Scott Goldberg did when they were talking about why they picked J-pop and how they actually thought it was a good thing because of, of what it did for the company. Let me play that clip for you right now. But that's where I would say, in all honesty, you know, we, we do acknowledge what happened and know the incredible skills that he brings to the table. Mm-hmm. And truth be told, you know, with having John involved, it certainly puts us in the forefront of the industry right now. And if we were just some random company that was coming out of nowhere saying, hey, we're going to create a pinball machine, it, it would take a lot longer to get the attention and, and the awareness if we, if we didn't have um, this relationship with John. You know, it's unbelievable to me, that explanation. You know, you could show up to the party with Mussolini, and of course you'd get a lot of attention, but needing John Papaduke to put yourself on the map was a colossal mistake. They, they basically acquired a toxic figure that nobody liked, and they did it, you can hear it, strategically to make themselves uh, get awareness and, and be talked about in the pinball industry and the pinball community. And and that's, to me, this is super important. And you can't just gloss over that decision because to me, that decision to put J-pop into the company and start the company with J-pop is an error of judgment by Davil. And I think that Davil has been driving this pinball company since day one. And I don't think he quite knows right or wrong. And, and, and here's why I think that, because between 2015 and 2016, John Papaduke was allowed to come into American Pinball and keep tinkering away at his Magic Girl game. And this is all John loves to do. He loves to like play the role of like pinball wizard, pinball magician, but he really is, and I'm going to say this, he's a little bit of a fraud. And what I mean by that is this. It's not that John doesn't have good ideas. He doesn't know how to execute those ideas. He doesn't know how to make things work on his own. And a lot of these designers who came out of the Bally Williams days, a lot of them are now, you know, in this period of like 2012 to now, a lot of them had so much fame and high praise and so much expectations of what they could do as a designer. But the truth is this, is that the Bally Williams engineers made these men great. It's not the other way around. It, it, it was all the unknown people that you don't even know about who are the engineers that made these guys' ideas come to life. And I'm, it's all of them, Pat Lawler, John Papaduke, anyone who worked 
at Bally Williams back in the 90s was made to look better than they than you even think they are. And John is the ultimate testament to that. And so allowed to sit in his own workshop, John Papadou can't make anything work. I mean, Magic Girl was a disaster when it was under his own oversight. And here he is at American Pinball, and he's given, this is crazy. So after Zidware fails, John Papaduke is given an additional three to $400,000 to make Magic Girl via American Pinball. And so just to clarify what happened in this time period, and for those of you who don't remember, in 2016, American Pinball comes out and says, we are making a new game. It is called Houdini. And we are working with John Papaduke Jr. to make Houdini. And to prove we're serious and to add some goodwill into the pinball world, we are going to finish the game that John could never finish, the White Whale of Pinball, the mythological game known as Magic Girl. And, and the first piece of content that American Pinball ever showed the world was a row of magic again it was funny it was a row of empty magic girl cabinets and that was the first way they introduced american pinball to the world and they promised that they would have those magic girls out and shipped to owners by the end of 2016 and i think this was somewhere around like september or august or september of 2016 in which they started to make these these bold promises okay now now what's crazy is this this company has never made a game before they've they've never shipped anything before and even at the very beginning there's always this weird thing and we see it with so many pinball companies in, in which they want to take credit before they've ever even done anything or proven themselves to have done anything we saw that with andrew highway there's this weird sense of you've already fulfilled your destiny and you're already great in the pinball world before you even do anything successful. I mean, we heard it we heard it just from Mukesh when he said, we're winning. This is a miracle game. He, he talks in this way about all the excitement and all this and that. And meanwhile, in 2018, when he was saying that to us, Houdini was a sales failure. It was a total flop. So how is it that in, in, in you know coming out of a sales flop, you're talking in a way that makes it sound like you're succeeding? And it's like this weird delusional way in which people look at making pinball machines. I, I'll never understand. But let me let me play for you how Scott and the American pinball people were were sort of already boasting and bragging about how if it wasn't for them, the world would never get Magic Girl. Let's play that for you right now. If it, if if American Pinball wasn't here, I think it's pretty safe to say Magic Girl wouldn't be happening now. And because we are um, a real entity now, we're we're able to help make those dreams come true. And and I think you know people are starting to realize that that's a pretty substantial accomplishment in itself. If we're when we're able to to make that a reality. So a pretty substantial accomplishment. They're making the dreams come true of Zidware buyers. And the truth is this. What they accomplished was nothing more than screwing together a broken box of crap. And what blows my mind is that Scott and Davil, that entire year John is working on this magic girl, did they never once walk into the shop and say, hey, John, let us see the game working. 
Hey, John, is this game functioning? Hey, John, is this game going to fulfill what people are expecting? And no, it didn't. And no, it didn't. And like, can you blame Scott? I mean, they bring on this guy to be the head of a pinball company's marketing efforts. And what is his background? Does he know how to ha- how to make a pinball company successful? Well, let's let's hear from him what his background is. I don't have a pinball background, but I have a pretty diverse background in in marketing with startups and entrepreneurial companies um, in you know, a variety of industries that fit nicely in this community. And then we're adding a lot of other pinball experience to make a well-rounded team that's going to show, you know, have all the different areas covered um, to really kind of grow the company in a smart and strategic way. So was it smart and strategic to launch this company with J-Pop, right? Now it's impossible. It's impossible for us not to draw the parallels between the origins of American pinball and that of Deep Root Pinball. Because where did John land after American pinball? He found another, another pinball company to, to kick things off with him. And it is unbelievable. Now, we are going to see if that bet paid off for Robert Mueller in a couple weeks. But at least Robert has surrounded his company with other individuals. It wasn't just, if it was just John and Robert, it would end up the same way as the beginnings of American Pinball. Now, now they came around to their senses. Now, for those of you who don't know what happened here, so this is 2016. American Pinball realizes John Papaduke is, is a whack job, that he's never going to get it done, that Magic Girl doesn't work. Unbelievably, they, they screw the games together, they put them in boxes, and they ship them to customers. Now, I bought one of them. Now, at this point, nobody knew the game didn't work. The games didn't make it out by the end of 2016. I think it was February of 2017, the Magic Girls left American Pinball with a note from American Pinball. It was a very strategically worded note by Scott that said, we built these games to the specifications of John Papaduke, which basically means we screwed together his non-working piece of crap. And it's your problem now, but the game is yours. And I was the first person, Canada, on Canada's Pinball Podcast. If you go on YouTube and search Canada Pinball, I was the first person who unboxed a Magic Girl and showed the entire world what a non-working, ultra-beautiful game it was and what an unsatisfying game it was to play. You can't play the game. There's nothing in it to play. None of the mechs work. It's a piece of crap. And it still amazes me that people are willing to pay twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars to own a piece of rare pinball history. But it's it's such a, a tainted history. Anyway, so they come to their senses, and in 2016, before they kick John to the curb, they start to build another team, and that team includes uh, Joe Balser is brought on. Now, Joe Balser, you have to remember, is originally brought on to American Pinball to help work with John Papaduke on John Papaduke's Houdini. That was how the arrangement was supposed to occur originally. Now, what happens very quickly, because you know Joe is a, a normal human being, unlike John, he realizes John's game is a complete and utter disaster. Now, they still show John Papaduke's Houdini to the world. And if you remember, they brought it to Expo and it had Matt Andrews artwork and it was sexy as could be. 
I mean, this game looked incredible. I remember they had the game, I think, at a Vegas trade show, and Cornelius, that crazy guy in Pinside, he drove all the way to go see it. And all of us, remember, we were all willing to almost forget who John Papaduke was because another beautiful, sexy J-pop machine was right in front of us. And Houdini, I still think the J-pop Houdini aesthetically blows away the final version of Houdini that the world received from, from, from Joe Balser and American Pinball. But here's what happens. They kick J-pop out. Basically, Joe Balser's like, you know what? He's gone. We're going to start over. And they announce that they're going to build Houdini in record time. They designed their, a new version of Houdini. It's, it's based on John's design. If you look at the two games next to each other, they are similar layouts, but he basically has to start over and, and remove the J-pop stuff that doesn't work. So now American Pinball is sort of, uh, you got a new team in place. And it's Davil, it's Joe Balser, and it's he announces who's going to code the game, and that's Josh Kugler. Now, what I want to do is, you know, so for me, American Pinball has been the story of, of, of one, one simple thing, that they, this is the team. This is the team that has been the core driving force of American Pinball's machines. Joe Balser, Josh Kugler, and Davil. And that is their core unit. Like, that's their Gary Stern, George Gomez, and that's their Lyman Sheets, right? That's their big coder. So I've always said it. American Pinball, to me, has shown what they can do. And like it or not, I never understand why people think their games are going to get significantly better unless they either change personnel, unless they bring in new talent, and unless they try new things. Now, at this point, I, I, let, let's play for you the reaction when uh, Joe Balser introduces Josh Kugler uh, as part of the American Pinball team. I want you to pay very close attention to what Joe Balser says at the end of introducing Josh Kugler. Uh, introduce this to Josh Kugler. So you have it right there, a diamond in the rough that Joe Balser was praying for because all of the talent in pinball was working at other companies. Now remember, up to this point, Josh Kugler had only done his Kugler family pinball machine. This isn't someone who had been coding machines. Now, for those of you who have played American pinball machines, in Josh Kugler's defense, I don't think I hear many complaints about the code. I think the code and his creative approach to coding pinball machines is actually really good. But because the team is so small, Josh Kugler was making more than just decisions about code. They were also making decisions about art packages and making decisions about the cabinet design and making decisions about how the American pinball package would be. And this is where, again, I think American Pinball has always, always made some bonehead moves. And so it's also at this point in which Scott Goldberg is ousted from the company. Now, when I say they've made bonehead moves, I mean it. Because when you look at an American Pinball cabinet, do you think that that cabinet with like the weird shape 
back box looks good, like aesthetically looks good. The one thing they had, the one thing they should have realized before they kicked J-Pop to the curb, they actually had, who I believe, is the greatest creative eye in pinball, John Papaduke, for all of his faults, for all of his terrible, terrible business decisions, he has the greatest creative eye in pinball. He knows how to make things beautiful. He knows how to work with artists. He knows how to get the most out of working with artists and designers and knows how to put it together and assemble it in a way that makes a pinball machine gorgeous. And we saw that with his Zidware titles. We saw it with his Magic Girl. We saw it with Raza. We saw it with Alice in Wonderland. And and, and when people first saw that Houdini, it looked amazing. It looked so beautiful on looks alone. People would have went in on that title had it worked. Now they went and they took John Papa Duke's aesthetic and they threw it all away. And see, that to me was one of the biggest bonehead moves of American pinball. Is they should have, they should have had John Papa Duke design them a standard size cabinet. It never would have looked as frumpy and weird as the AP cabinets currently look. And they never should have made the Houdini package turn into this like dark steam punky artwork it it just doesn't look as good if you put the two next to each other it doesn't look as good and part of the decision making was made by kugler and balser i just think that they had people making decisions that had no business making decisions and i can't believe it too because they owned this is what's crazy they own all the beautiful artwork that j-pop had matt andrews do for houdini and they threw it away They threw away the beautiful art package because they wanted nothing to do with anything that resembled John Papaduke. But they should have kept the J-pop aesthetic and had Balser make the game. So the story of Houdini, you know it from there. In 2017, this game is made in, in I think, less than a year. They went from uh, J-pop's original concept to the Joe Balser version of Houdini. Now... So they make Houdini, and Houdini is a game that is rushed. It's rushed into production. And by that, I mean they did not even have a full Whitewood before they made this game. And because of that, even though this game is packed with some really cool toys, it has one of the coolest toys ever in pinball, that milk cannon shot that goes all the way like three feet from the left side all the way to the back of the game. One of the coolest mechs I've seen in pinball. It it suffers from other shots that are just way too tight, way too clunky. And ultimately, Houdini goes down as a title that even though it's got some cool stuff in it and it's loaded and jam-packed for 7500 bucks, ultimately people find it unsatisfying to shoot. And even though some people out there will try to hype it, ultimately the game comes out and it's a sales, it's, it's mediocre in sales. I would say the, what I've heard on the streets from distributors is that Houdini has sold between five and 600 units, and that is it. And, I, and there are still Houdinis to be had new in box sitting at distributors, and they can't move them now because used Houdinis are going for closer to $6,000. And so in, in, a way, in a way, everyone was sort of willing to forgive them 
for Houdini because Houdini was them, again, picking up the mess that J-pop left them. But nobody, again, nobody made them sign up J-pop. It was them. And again, it goes back to a company that I think at the core does not understand pinball. They, the, the founders of this company have no idea what they're doing in pinball. And they're basically at the mercy of those that do have some knowledge of pinball to tell them what to do. So Joe Balser, this is like Joe Balser's company at this point. Joe Balser has the ability to create whatever game he wants for them. And Joe Balser has a responsibility to them, much like I railed on Pat Lawler, that it was Pat's responsibility to give Jack a hit game, and he handed Jack dialed in. The game that we heard was rumored to be the next title from American Pinball was a game that nobody wanted. And even when the rumors of this title started to percolate through Pinside and within the pinball world, there was never any enthusiasm for it anywhere. And yet somehow, in some way, Joe Balser decided with other people's money, right? The, this, this is all like Mukesh's money and Davil's money. He had the ability to make any game he wanted that even like, let's just say, okay, even though it's not a licensed theme, there are many non-licensed themes out there, many IPs, many historical stories and novels and books and open IP things you can make a game on. He decided to make a game that was what he wanted to make. And the similarities to this and Dialed In are, are frighteningly similar. That a designer that is allowed to create what he wants and go in a direction that he 100% wants to go in, I'm fine with that as long as that person is accountable for the decision they make. If you're going to say, if we make this, it will be successful, if we make this, we're going to sell this many units, then that needs to be on you and you need to be accountable and hold nobody else to blame for this decision. Now, people realize that it was Oktoberfest. And there was absolutely no enthusiasm for it anywhere. I ragged on it on the show. Even months before they even revealed it officially, I said if, if American Pinball makes Oktoberfest, this company is dead on arrival with that title. Okay? And so you have all these months of people not excited for the theme, right? Months and months and months of people saying, no, don't make Oktoberfest. It feels very similar to what's going on now. Don't make Hot Wheels. How could you land at Hot Wheels? And what this company did and what Joe Balser did, I'm going to hold these people accountable. I want to just ask Joe Balser, what market research did you do to take these people's money and apply it to Oktoberfest? Did you do a survey? Did you ask people did you put up three or four titles in which you said, which one of these would be most exciting to you? You didn't do anything. You simply listened to your gut and your gut led you astray. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you jam pack into a theme that nobody wants. American Pinball making a game based on a German drinking festival, even though that festival takes place in the U.S., it still seems so misguided. Let's play a clip of when they finally did reveal this game. I believe it was September 
of 20, I want to say 18, the company finally at, at a Vancouver uh, pinball show revealed to the world what the next title was. And let's, let's, let's play the reaction when Oktoberfest was revealed to the world. We'll call it a game. It's Oktoberfest Pinball on Tap. Um, I think, I believe, um, the first time you see this game and shoot this game, um, you're going to, I think it's going to be really well received. I really got a lot going on. So we bumped up Houdini to, we know how to build Houdini, so now it's time to build something a little bit bigger a little bit better. Um, not saying that Houdini's not good, just saying that we need to bump each game if we can. And that's kind of our plan. So, you know, as you can see here, we got you know, we got ramps going all over the place and I'm not giving you anything to really say, oh, I can figure out what's going on there. But um, there's shots, we've got, we've got um, shots that change into different shots. We have uh, a wire form ramp that I don't think well has never been done on a production pinball before. Uh, we've got a ramp on there that once you see it, um, you're going to look at it and think, I don't know if you could even shoot that. And you can shoot it. So it's uh, it's got a lot of cool stuff going on that I think you guys will be happy with once you see it. And like I said, we're, we're on the fast track to try to get a couple, three, whatever we can, maybe more if we can, to to uh, to Expo in October. So that's what we're planning to do an unveil there. So this is September of 2018. Oktoberfest is promised to go to Expo in October of 2018, and it does. It makes it there to the show. It's revealed to the world. And we're going to talk all about the Oktoberfest reveal, but the game doesn't ship then. It doesn't even ship for six to seven months later. Okay, now also at this point, American Pinball announces their new sales and marketing guy. And it's no other than, I think it's Mukesh's son, and that's Nermal. So we have Davil, whose uncle is Mukesh, and Nermal who I believe is the son. So you have a very family-run company in which some of the most major roles and strategic roles are being handled by people within Mukesh's family. Now, how qualified is Nermal to be running marketing for this company? And let's, let's look at his experience and what his background is to be able to take the reins and drive a pinball company into profitability and success. This is Nermal Vasani. Um, he's going to be working uh, on marketing and sales side. Uh, fresh out of school, learned a lot about the industry. Uh, I'm sure he's wanting to pick people's brains here and just get some ideas on how this industry works, and he's in that mode. So uh, I'll give it over to Nermal for a minute, and I'll pull up another couple pictures, and I'll pop them up there. All right, so fresh out of school, Absolutely no experience in sales and marketing in the real world. And uh, Joe Balser kicks it to him in front of a crowd of people in which the marketing lead of American Pinball is going to say something and get you hyped. And by the way, if you keep hearing that sound in the background while Joe Balser is talking about Oktoberfest, go watch the clip of them at the Vancouver Flipping Out Pinball Show. And it's so funny because they have a Houdini on stage 
and they're allowing the machine. It's like they played a ball or two, and the game's music is just going throughout their presentation. And the whole time Joe Balser is trying to show you clips and do stuff and show you Oktoberfest teaser clips, he's ruffling through a computer file and folder. And it's, 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 don't even get me started on the amateur hour way in which these pinball manufacturers communicate to their buyers and their audiences. If you can't take the time, if you can't take the time the night before you're talking to your customer base and set up a simple PowerPoint presentation that simply guides people through your chat and you're going through folders on your desktop, on your computer, it is so amateur hour, lazy and pathetic. But anyway, I love I love Nermal's response to the crowd when Joe kicks it to him. Look, look, look let's, let's listen to that. Well, unfortunately, we're running kind of tight on time, so... Uh... I'm sure a lot of you have seen kind of some of the prizes that I have laid out. Oh man, what what a way to just excite the crowd. We're out of time. I've got some prizes laid out. Look, the bottom line with all of this is this company has been run from the very get-go by a family that has a very smart business in Aimtron, but they know nothing about pinball. They know nothing about marketing. They know nothing about market research. They, they hand this company over to children to try and figure it out. Dava wants to do the company on a whim. They don't know. They don't eat pinball. They don't sleep pinball. They don't breathe pinball. And Joe Balser was given the company to make two games, and they both flopped. They both flopped. There's no way around it. And if you were to ask Joe Balser himself, when he was asked, how many games of each skew does American Pinball need to sell to be successful? The volume. And someone asked that of him when uh, he was talking about Houdini. And let's hear from Joe himself on how many titles they were expecting to sell of each of Houdini and Oktoberfest. What kind of volumes are you looking at for each game? Well, uh, Houdini, we released it at 1,000 pieces. Uh, we had confidence in it after the first couple shows that we could get there, and we are going to get there. Um, I believe I would say, you know, not I'm not not written in stone, but um, that we would probably do in a thousand releases per new title. We'll see how that works out. One thing that's nice about again the non-licensed theme is that I can we can stop it, and we can come back to it. So. You know, we could build up some hype, make it happen, get the new game out there, and see where we are about bringing back some Houdinis when we get enough orders for that. So, you know, our uh, part of the business plan is is a thousand per unit as an initial initial release, and you kind of got to be in that range to keep your bill of material down. You know what I mean? Once you start going to shorter numbers, your bill is jumping up here, and you know there goes. Anything we were looking at from that 69.95 uh, price tag um, is not gonna is not gonna cut it if we you know we go with shorter releases we won't be able to get there. Yeah. So. All right, so you heard it from Joe himself. If they go shorter than a thousand, the bomb doesn't work. They're not making money. They can't sell games at 69.95. Now, if I'm to listen to the distributors that I know. Houdini sold around four to five, maybe 600 at most. But I'm hearing Oktoberfest only sold around 300 units. 
So 70% off of the target that it needed to sell. Now, what was to blame for it? Was it the six month wait between the reveal? Was it a horrible theme? Let's deconstruct Oktoberfest because this game, and we're gonna do it quickly because we've done it before on this show. Oktoberfest failed for a few reasons. One, it was a theme that nobody wanted. Irresponsible by Joe to make this theme without any market research. He easily could have used the free resource that is in front of him every day. Pinside is there. Facebook is there. There are free tools and resources that you can use to determine whether or not your theme is popular. You could even start a thread that just says, what kinds of original themes would you like to see in pinball? Did he do that? Did he ask people what they wanted? He did not. Nobody over there did. What did Davil ask of him? Didn't he not sit him down and say, hey, Joe, if we make Oktoberfest, is this going to sell? Is this a theme people want? And again, I bet they didn't even have that conversation because I think Davil would just go with it. Remember, this is the guy who walked into his own company and gave John Papaduke three to $400,000 and couldn't even realize that the game doesn't work. If he can't realize that Magic Girl doesn't work, how is he going to realize what's a good theme and what's not? And so he allows Oktoberfest to be made. They reveal it in October, but you can't have the game in October. So immediately, a game that's called Oktoberfest, the earliest you can play it is in spring or summer. Moronic moronic marketing decision. If you're gonna make a game called Oktoberfest, it needs to ship in August, September, so it can actually be physically present at all the Oktoberfest celebrations happening in October. There's a reason why. There's a reason why everything that's Christmas themed starts being sold in November, okay? So you have it in time. Moronic decision. I don't understand it. Then you had the whole monkey gate scenario in which they said this was a family-friendly game and then they had a monkey on the back glass that was grabbing two girls' butts and it looked very stupid and insensitive and unnecessary. I get it. For some of you out there, you don't find that offensive. I personally don't find it offensive, but it is creepy. It is unnecessary and it definitely was the wrong time to put something like that on a game when the entire country was going through the whole Me Too movement and that was the biggest cultural thing happening in society and it looked really dumb and tone deaf. The monkey on there could upset some buyers. No one cares if it's off, okay? So they go through that whole debacle. By the time the game ships, they have to redo the cabinet artwork. They have to redo the monkey. And the ultimate reason other than theme why this game didn't sell well is not because it wasn't loaded with stuff. It's one of the ugliest art packages in pinball. You stand over in Oktoberfest and it's not attractive. It's pretty hideous, the art package. And we are now in a competitive landscape where if your art package isn't as good as a zombie Yeti, isn't as good as a Christopher Franchi, isn't as good as the other high caliber artists that are out there, you can't sell your game. And Oktoberfest needed everything to be beyond good because the theme is bad. Like you have to win people over. And then I didn't even talk about the animations in the game were just horrendous. And the animations in Houdini were also horrendous. And they finally got better with new code update with Oktoberfest, but the damage was done. And so you have a company 
that has always given a lot of mechanical stuff into these games with pretty lackluster art packages, some of the worst animations in pinball, and that's why the sales never materialized. And here's the sad part about American Pinball to this date, is they do build some of the best quality pinball machines. Now, Mukesh said it, they know how to build stuff. Like, it's crazy to me, American Pinball knows how to build high quality pinball machines. What's let them down is they don't have their George Gomez, they don't have anyone leading the company who knows what they're doing, and they listened to Joe Balser. Now, it's funny to me because I always hear, you know, people say to me uh, behind the scenes, the murmurs that like Joe's not happy at American Pinball. Joe's so, but I, my question is this, and if, if you know Joe or Joe's listening, didn't Joe Balser stand over didn't, did he not stand over the art package on Oktoberfest? And how was he satisfied with that art package? A man who's been in this industry for two to three decades, he knows what a sexy pinball machine looks like. So didn't he not have say on which artists would be working on this game? How did Josh Kugler stand over that game and think it was satisfactory? How did Davel, a man who's seen the kind of beautiful game that John could produce with his Houdini, how did he stand over Oktoberfest and say, yep, this is it, this is ready to go? And that is my entire belief of this company, is I get that they make pinball machines. I get that they build quality machines. I get that they don't rip people off. You've never lost your money on an American pinball game. But the people inside the core team have shown time and time again they just don't know what you want as a pinball buyer they don't know how to make a beautiful game they don't know what the need state is of the pinball community they have absolutely no clue and to me it feels like a company that is funded by a different company and guess what that's exactly what it is individuals who are really good at making other stuff that are dabbling in pinball and it feels like it and the sales reflect it it is crazy to me in a hobby like this in a world that is starving to buy any pinball machine that is new and available and fully featured that they couldn't figure it out they had two chances. And what's un- what's really frustrating is Joe Balser knows better. So who's to blame? Like, it doesn't matter what he's going to say is the problem. He got to make his game. And as far as I'm concerned, when you're a creative director and you get to execute your idea, you are held accountable. So now we move into Hot Wheels. Now, Hot Wheels is happening. Hot Wheels is happening. But I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you right now, AP's Hot Wheels is going to most likely disappoint. And I'll explain why. Because the first two games and their failure to launch has done one thing. It has forced this company to now reevaluate how much money they can put into these games because the first two games have lost them a lot of money. So what I think they're going to do now And I don't know this for sure, but this is my prediction that it is going to underwhelm you. My prediction is that they think because they got Hot Wheels that they have a hot property. And because they got Hot Wheels, they were probably sold all of the reasons why Hot Wheels is popular by the Mattel team over at Hot Wheels. 
and I know this because I work on Hot Wheels, they were probably sold on the fact that they've made 8 billion Hot Wheels cars, that Hot Wheels has a huge collector base, that Hot Wheels has arcade and video games that are in Dave and Busters, that Hot Wheels is still a contemporary and popular entity. And it is. It's just not popular in the pinball world. And it's probably not popular within the people who buy pinball machines now. And where it's really not popular is amongst the competitive set of available pinball games. Because it's not about making this game in a vacuum. It's, is Hot Wheels going to actually sell well against Stranger Things, against Star Wars, against Batman, against Medieval Madness, against this, against that, against against Rick and Morty. It has to be a theme that will appeal. Now, again, I ask you this question. In all of the threads on Pinside of themes people would like to see, I had never seen anyone in a million years, and I've been, I'm saying that hyperbole, I've never seen anyone in any of those threads say Hot Wheels. So then it begs the question, who made this decision? And this is why a company like American Pinball will just always, always fail to make a hit game because I just think the people running the ship have no idea what they're doing. And they were probably at a trade show and Mattel was probably there with a big Hot Wheels booth and they probably got excited by the property and they, they decided to make a game. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if Hot Wheels were a popular theme that would sell you a thousand plus pinball machines, if Hot Wheels were a theme that pinball buyers wanted, it would have been made already by Stern Pinball. This isn't a theme that is going to excite this community and you know it and you know it and now there are some of you out there that are saying well Chris wait till we see it let's see what it is and we're going to see it in just a few weeks and I think when they pull the curtain off of Hot Wheels I think you're going to see a game that is not going to have nearly as much in it as Houdini and as Oktoberfest and I think you're going to see probably some orange ramps and whatnot. And I think you're going to have a colorful Hot Wheels art package. But I, I also think next to what's coming out and next to the games that are launching, Guns N' Roses, Ninja Turtles, Stranger Things, uh, you have Deep Roots coming into the picture. You have a Chicago gaming company with original games. Rick and Morty games are going to be available for people. People will flip their Rick and Mortys. I just don't think within the competitive set, this is the answer. And it's another example of a company that just didn't do the homework. They didn't work hard to get to a big factory. It was given to them. I mean, think about that for a minute. Spooky Pinball started small and worked hard to make their pinball company. American Pinball Company was born out of the success of another company. Davil didn't earn he didn't earn a pinball company he didn't earn pinball buyers he didn't earn the right to have a huge factory he didn't earn the right to have all the money that he's building his games with it was given to him by the successes of another company a family company albeit which is fine which makes it even more frustrating if you look at it that way you have the money 
You have the ability to go hire the right people. You have the ability to go get the right talent. You have the capital to get a licensed property. If a small company like Spooky can do it, why can't you? Charlie doesn't have an uncle with $60 million or a $50 million company feeding him money. He did it himself. To me, that's the American dream. Now, Aimtron is the realization of the American dream, but American Pinball is anything but that. American Pinball is a byproduct of what happens when you give, you know, your spoiled son who's on Facebook, you know, showing his his super expensive computer, you're giving people these roles in the company that they didn't earn. They were just given those roles, and it's playing out that way. It is absolutely playing out that way. And you know, that's that's the story in my book of American Pinball. A ship without a captain, a lot of money, and what won't happen is this. American Pinball won't go away because they have all that other capital coming from Aimtron. Now, now I'm all is not doom and gloom, but I do think that Hot Wheels is a title caught in the middle of this company's transition. And I think Hot Wheels will fall victim to a company in transition. There's new there's a new sales and marketing guy in Michael Grant that just joined this week or week yeah, he, they just announced that. They've had other people leave the company. And so they are transitioning their own team. Now, the whole thing is this. This company needs a leader. I don't think it has it. I don't think marketing and sales guys could help. They need a leader that understands pinball. And until they establish who that person is, it is always going to be this cluster of one step forward in this area, two steps back in that. I think you're going to see one step forward in terms of theme. Hot Wheels is still better theme than the first two games, but then two steps back in terms of the mechanical ingenuity and complexity of the game. And we will see. Maybe Canada is going to be wrong. Maybe I'm going to eat my own words on American Pinball. But that is the story of American Pinball. They did not earn the big factory. They didn't grow because of sales. They actually, their sales have declined, right? They have yet to sell Spooky Pinball in four hours, people. Spooky Pinball in four hours sold more games, almost more games in four hours than American Pinball has sold in five years. So when you think about it like that, that's the problem. And Chuck and Bug and Ben Heck, pinball guys, pinball guys made spooky. Pinball guys make Stern Pinball tick. Pinball guys made up CGC. Pinball guys are over at Deep Root. Pinball guys did not start American Pinball. And they've never been able to put the right kind of pinball leadership in place. But I think they're going to try and do that. But it's not going to be felt on this next title. I might be right. I might be wrong. We will see very soon enough. Everybody, have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. We'll come back with an analysis of another pinball company on our next show. Later. Ah!